to the Clemson Dubcast Open Week version, Thursday, October 7th, up at Tiger Illustrated right now. Some in-depth video analysis. You know, in the midst of everybody getting all hot and bothered over 19 to 13 against Boston College, justifiably so, the blocking was actually pretty darn good. Matt Bockhorse was an uncaged animal. The offensive line as a whole did really well. And also, some pretty good blocking on the outside, too. Something to build on for sure. That in-depth analysis available only at TigerIllustrated.com. Great time to sign up. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, so one of my favorite guests on the podcast, he's been a frequent visitor, Mr. Billy Davis, who was in town this past weekend for the recognition of the 40th anniversary of the 1981 National Championship. Okay, here we go. Enjoy. Okay, joined once again by frequent... Guest Billy Davis, how you doing, man? Great, great. Thanks for having me on, Larry. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Um, you've been all over the world, I guess, over the last few months, couple of months or month. Yeah, yeah. I was in Moscow uh, a couple of months ago for a week. Flew up to Anchorage, Alaska, and then uh, literally over the top of the North Pole there into into Moscow. I was there for three or four days on the ground, and then uh, traveled back to the states and then um left on september 16th went to uh, juliet illinois franklin graham who uh some of the listeners out there may know i i run security for reverend graham and his family and he did a god loves you tour route 66 tour which from an historic historical perspective was really uh, really neat we went from juliet illinois to my old stomping grounds in St. Louis, Missouri, to Springfield, Missouri, and then took a short hop over to Dallas, Texas, then back up to Oklahoma City, then over to Amarillo, Texas, then up to Albuquerque, then over to Flagstaff, Arizona, and finished up in San Bernardino, California. I missed the last leg of it because I 
jumped on a flight from Santa Ana, California to Atlanta and made the tactical error of arriving in Atlanta at three o'clock in the afternoon, attempting to drive to Clemson, South Carolina (laughs) on Friday. And four hours later, I made it to Clemson. So yeah, I, I, that was a completely tactical error on my part. I should have known better, but the only options were Charlotte in Atlanta and I think the folks that live up in Charlotte know they know how bad I-85 heading south is too. So you pretty much just have the revolver to your head on either either side. But anyway, I made it to Clemson and uh, was there for the Boston College game and the '81 national championship team reunion, and we had a blast doing that. How do you how do you get a weekend off? Do you just well, when you're part of that when you're in charge of? Yeah, you don't. It's it's very similar. To when I was on, in the U.S. Secret Service, and as some of the listeners out there know, as you know, I was a special agent in the United States Secret Service for 27 years, and every four years we would have a presidential campaign, and you're always involved in that, as a, whether you're on the president or vice president's detail or whether you're serving in a field office. And a lot of times you'll go out and do a three-week rotation on a presidential candidate. For instance, in 1992, I was assigned to then-Governor Bill Clinton. I think we've talked about that a couple of times, and you would go out. I was assigned to the Jacksonville field office, and you would go out for three weeks at a time living out of a suitcase, and you get a day to travel, a day to travel back. So it's essentially 23 days that you'd be out. And living out of a suitcase is very similar to what I did uh, last the last S- September 16th, living out of a suitcase and bouncing around from city to city. So don't really have any time off trying to catch a glimpse of the Clemson game on my phone as I'm working and um, trying to keep track of the Tigers. But I, it, it's what I do uh, in service, whether it was the U.S. Secret Service or, or service to uh, Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So it's very rewarding work. It's, it's a grind. It's hard, but I enjoy it. And then when I'm home, I'm at, I'm at home. So we're going next week, we're going to shoot over to Lexington, Kentucky and watch our daughter swim. Uh, and they get their SEC championship rings uh, next weekend, so that'll be exciting for her. It's a lot of work that goes into it, but yeah, um, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this because, as they say, it's not the years, it's the mileage, and I literally have hundreds of thousands of miles of travel on my book, and um, it has a tendency to wear you down after a while, but uh, the good thing is I'm out there serving, and, and so that makes it a little bit more rewarding than a lot of other jobs I could have. So I feel blessed for that. Yeah. That's sort of what I'm curious about or fascinated about is somebody like you, whose whole existence, uh, professional and even personal existence has been built on physical and mental toughness and withstanding all sorts of stress, stressors coming at you. What, what sort of brings you to the point of, of saying, man, this is, this is hard. I don't know how much longer I want to do this. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like any other career that you would have, I think the mental stress is the physical I can handle because, and we've had this discussion before, Larry, and you're a good friend. We've known each other for since 2008. And we've had this discussion many times, but I've always prided myself on my physical and mental toughness, uh, whether it was high school athletics, playing two sports at Clemson, or, you know, make a three uh, NFL training camps, uh, counter assault team training. But after a while, even the, the physical part I could always handle is the mental grind of, of missing things and being away from home 
and, and, and missing things that our daughters have done. Um, you miss a lot of their lives because you're essentially in the secret service. And what I do now is I'm living someone else's life. You know, I'm, it's their schedule. I, I, I cater my job and my service to their schedule and their lives. And sometimes you do, in all transparency and honesty, question what you're doing because you're living someone else's life. And you try to be introspective a lot and try to look down upon yourself and see what you're doing. Try to do a, a full field analysis of where you are in your life. And, and then you, you try to uh, balance your life and what you desire to do. And, you know, and then it becomes down to a, it's a monetary thing and how much money do I need? And, how much money is important to me. And, and, and I joined the secret service because I, money was not, it's never been the driving factor in my life. It never has been. It never will be. Uh, Cause I grew up with my dad worked in a grocery store stocking shelves. And then he was a mailman. So we didn't have, we had pretty much bare bones minimum growing up. And so I don't need a whole lot of money to be happy. But the personal satisfaction of being around my family and friends and enjoying life to its fullest um, is, a, is a driving force. Like I said, I, I didn't join the Secret Service to make money. I joined the Secret Service to literally serve the country, and I think I did for a long time. And, and now I tell people I don't work for the GOV. I, I work for GOD, for, uh, for Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So that's very rewarding in itself, obviously. Now, um, some people may not understand that and some people do. So, but the mental toughness part of it, that mentally it is a grind. And I think, I think a lot of people in their careers, as they get older, I'll be 16 December. You start, start questioning how much longer am I going to do this? And, you know, as they say on Seinfeld, Hey, it's a matter of simple arithmetic. You can see on down the road, there is an end to the road and you do want to enjoy some of your life before you can enjoy it. Obviously when you're, the head of a security detail for a presidential campaign or president or whatever weeks and maybe even months go into advanced uh, preparations for going to visit a certain place. How much it goes into your current, uh, the current sort of uh, routine of when you're going to go and go into a city and how much advanced work do you have to do just as far as a security apparatus? Uh, that's a great question. Again, um, that's why you make the money you do because you ask good <laughs> questions. <laughs> obviously, obviously, it's not as intense or or um, as intricate as what we do for the president, the vice president of the United States. There is a lot of advanced work that's done, mostly by the people from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and or Samaritan's Purse on the ground. I I consult with those people, and they'll give me the contact information for the local and state police departments that we'll deal with in the jurisdictions, and I'll handle it through that. I also have some contractors that are former Secret Service agents. I have six of them, six of these gentlemen, and, and they go out and, and do some of the advance work for us. Uh, so it, it's that's the fun part of it. The advance work is always fun because it's like setting up a game plan for Saturday or Sunday, and we don't do anything. We used to say in the Secret Service, we don't, we don't go, you know, we don't go to the bathroom without making a plan. And you have to have a plan and, and execute the plan. And we do the same thing on a pared down basis for for Reverend Graham. So there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. Not certainly not nearly as much as for the president, or the vice president. I was just telling somebody last week. I said sometimes you 
folks don't understand the levels I was at in the Secret Service where I would, on a weekly basis almost, be in a situation room at the White House in consultation and meetings with the President of the United States National Security Advisor and the Vice President's National Security Advisor, going over matters of the gravest national security, uh, gravest national security issues and things that we had to discuss, you know, in a skiff in the situation room. And so um, it gives me a different perspective on, it gives me a different perspective on life and the things that are happening in the country now. And I still do know a lot of things that are going on. And uh, so uh, that's, that's all, that's all part of, um, it pours into what I do now for Reverend Graham, and it, it helps that I have still have those connections as far as in the intelligence world. But uh, yeah, there, there's a lot. There's a lot that went into my career, my previous career, that folks probably don't know and don't understand. And like I said, you probably don't want to know a lot of the stuff that I know. It's good that you don't. What was uh, what was it like being back and with your your old teammates celebrating? Uh, the 40th anniversary of the national championship. It, it was great to see everybody. It's different. You know, the older I get, Larry, the, it's going to Clemson is different. I hadn't been to a home game since 2017. The Auburn game where Kelly Bryant, you know, it was, I think it was like six to nothing Auburn for a while there. It's been that long. Clemson, yes. I, I just don't get back as much as I used to. Cause it's just a different, you know, you raise your daughters are athletes and you just don't, you know, you're fortunate that you live in the area and your job is covering Clemson athletics where I don't, Clemson was is a huge was a huge part of my life as a young man, and as I've gotten older, other things have taken priority in my life. Whether it's my daughter's athletic career or uh, serve in Secret Service or uh, working for Reverend Graham, and I just don't have I just don't have the time nor the energy to go down there and spend the whole weekend in Clemson going to football. It's just not a priority for me anymore. Now, I'll say this, when I got to Clemson and I saw a bunch of my old teammates, some of which I hadn't seen in decades, uh, a lot of my close friends uh, in the program were not necessarily players, but student managers and trainers. Some of my best friends from the 81 team were managers and trainers that I hung out with. Uh, when I was playing baseball at Clemson, there was a guy named uh, Dwayne Kearns Chandler, who uh, was my roommate, and he was our head baseball student trainer and he was in my roommate so it was great to see those guys too and we had a lot of yucks and laughs and talked about things saw some of my old coaches saw Lawson Holland who I hadn't seen coach Holland in years and uh, he was the guy that recruited me up at Mount Vernon High School in Virginia and saw his wife Kathy and I saw Joe White who um, was one of our uh, administrative assistant coaches handled some of the academic side of the house and he, he had an interesting story Coach White came to Clemson from Virginia Tech pretty much about the same time that Tom Harper came from Virginia Tech to Clemson, and he became our de facto associate head coach and defensive coordinator. Uh, passed away in 1989, unfortunately. He was a great guy. But Coach White was telling me the story about uh, – we got on the subject of Virginia Tech and how the program was when I was in high school, and I, I really didn't even know where – I grew up in Virginia but couldn't – tell you where Virginia Tech was, where Blacksburg was. I mean, that's what that was the perception of Virginia Tech back in those days. And he laughed. He said, well, that's true. He said, but do you realize that we talked about Coach Beamer being at Tech, and he said that a little known fact that there were two guys that were up for the job at Virginia Tech in 19, whatever it was, 85 or 86, when Coach Beamer took over. It was Frank Beamer 
and the other guy was Bruce Arians. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, so it's Frank Beamer and Bruce Arians. And uh, uh, as the story Coach White told me, he says, I guess the athletic director, and I, I don't know who the AD was at the time at Tech, uh, brought Beamer in and said, hey, look, there are uh, Dooley's leaving, but there are a couple of guys on the staff that we'd like you to keep um, as holdovers from Coach Dooley's staff. And Coach Beamer said, sure, we'll keep them. And I guess they brought Arians in. And Bruce Arian said, not only is Urban Legend or not, but this is what Coach White told me, that Arian said, no, I've already picked out my new staff, and I'm not keeping anybody from the old staff. So the AD went with Beamer. So it would be interesting to think what would happen if they had hired Bruce Arians instead of Frank Beamer and where Virginia Tech would be now. Would would they be the program they became in in the 90s and 2000s? Or would they have been less of a program or would they have been more of a program? And it's just an interesting thing to look back and see, see the, the, the fate of history and the, the fingers that are the buttons that are pushed and the people that are picked to lead programs. So, you know, now Bruce Arians is, you know, won the Super Bowl with his Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But who's to say what would have happened if they'd have hired him at Virginia Tech? Um, yeah. And so it was good to see Coach White and Coach Hall and all those guys and, Get it, you know, we went on the field the third time out of the first quarter, and I think you probably saw that they introduced us when we went out on the field and got a nice ovation from the crowd. And you know, and then I came home the next day. So hard to believe it's been four years, but uh, the older we get, the faster it goes. Like I said, it was good to see everybody. And, and and you know, Coach Ford said he goes, you know, if it wasn't for you guys in 1981, a lot of the stuff that's at Clemson right now probably wouldn't exist. And, you know, we did lay the foundation for what I believe Coach Sweeney is doing now. Back to the Beamer thing for just a second. He was at Murray, yeah. Murray State, I guess it was. Yeah, he was at Murray State. And that's where Bud Foster was with him, too, if I'm not mistaken. So he brought Bud from from Murray State to Virginia Tech. Coach, Coach Beamer did play defensive back at, at Virginia Tech back in the 60s, I think, 60s or 70s. I don't know. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, and then Arian. I don't know where Arians was. I just I didn't either. I looked it up. He was at Temple as the head coach at the time. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, later ended up uh, on the staff of Alabama when when Dabo was a player there. Or not? Oh, ninety two. Let's see. He was. He won it ninety two. He was the OC at Bama in ninety seven. I'm sorry. So that was that's so that's Dabo was on the staff there. That's okay. Yeah. Well, Dabo was on the staff with uh, with Coach Stallings and Mike Dubose. Correct. And then when Dubose got fired, Dabo went into commercial real estate. So he so Dabo would have yeah Dabo would have been there on the staff during Arians one year as OC in '97, and then Arians went to the Colts to coach okay. quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting. And you never knew that. But, you know, you talk – when your coach is your kid, you're 18, 19, 20, whatever, you don't talk to your coaches like now, like then, like you do now. Now we talk to each other as, as grown men that have had careers and retired. And it's a whole different perspective on life. You can have a conversation. Back then it's just or no, sir. So it was great to see those guys and, and talk to them. Not everybody showed up. Arguably my favorite coach from the 81 team is Curly Holm, and um, he wasn't there. There were some guys over there, and, and but I think we had over a hundred, over a hundred players, coaches, trainers, and managers that showed up. That's a pretty good turnout. Because you got to remember back then, 
we had 95 guys on scholarship and pretty much unlimited walk-ons. So there was no such thing as a preferred walk. It was just like um, you showed up and you made it through fall practice. You were on the team, maybe dressed once or twice during the season. But so there were a lot of guys there that, um, yeah, there were a lot of guys. Some of them never saw the field. I mean, not like not once, but they were there and they were part of the team and they were bigger part of the team as anybody else because they showed up and went through the practices and went through winter workouts and spring practice. So it's good to see everybody from, you know, my friends, Homer Jordan and Terry Kennard and Frank Magwood, the guys that, uh, that dressed once a year. Um, as you get older, you realize how special everybody was on a team and not just the stars. So, um, that's that's a pretty cool thing as you get older. Other than the recognition on the field, what other events did you, did they organize for you guys? Was that it, or was there something Friday you know, night? We had a tailgate. Yeah, we had a, no, we didn't do anything on Friday night. We had a tailgate over at the indoor practice facility. It was a quote-unquote tailgate. They had food laid out for us and tables set up, and there was a small program. Uh, the Block C Club did a good job. Bob Mahoney kind of organized it. And, he got up and then uh, Coach Ford got up and spoke and they showed the highlight film from the 81 season. And um, then we went out and did a team picture in front of the, uh, you know, there at the, at the Reeves Center where they have the 81 National Championship, the 16 and 18, the teams there. We went and had our picture taken in front of that. And then we did Tiger Walk, which is the, for me was, was the coolest thing. I've done it before. Did Tiger Walk once before, but we assembled and led the team into the stadium. Got on. We basically split our team in half, so we were on either side of Tiger Walk as they entered, as they entered the stadium. And I was able to give uh, get Coach Winnie's attention and give him a big bro hug. And the same with Tony Elliott, and gave Tony a big uh, thumbs up and a big bro hug too. It was really good to see see them, and you could see it in their eyes. They're they're happy to see us. Cool. I, I think, yeah, it was cool. And, you know, it was one of those things where here's the 81 team. And, you know what, guys, we know you're struggling a little bit, but we're here to support you. And um, and I think the kids knew as they got off the bus who we were. They were very respectful and yes sir, no sir. They shook all of our hands and, um, you know, it makes you real proud to see what the program is and what those what those kids do even though they're you know they're not undefeated and they're not ranked they're still you know Clemson Tigers and we're still proud of them and we still pull for them and now I do we've had a discussion it's like they're they're my kids I mean our daughter's 20 and you know DJ's 20 years old and I, I look at those those kids now as it easily could be my kids and so um I know what it's like to have an, an athlete as a daughter and and so your heart, your heart breaks for them when they don't do well, and you certainly want them to succeed. And you realize how hard they've had to work to get to the level that they're at. So, and in Division One, and the people that disagree with me, and they say the ACC is the crap, or they say it's a weak schedule, or they want to come out and be critical. And maybe the ACC is not the Southeastern conference from top to bottom, but there's still a lot of good teams and a lot of kids out there that work hard to get to where they are. And so I, and I know that. And like I said on a radio show last week, I've played against North Carolina state and I've played against Georgia tech. And I've played against Georgia and a lot of other teams in the ACC. And uh, they got, they got some pretty stout players. Believe me, they want to hear that they're crap and they they're trash. And the coaches work just as hard as our coaches. 
So that, that's got, you know, the, as Coach Sweeney says, it's a short trip from the outhouse to the penthouse, and it's a short trip from the penthouse to the outhouse. So a few injuries here or there and a couple of drop balls and missed passes and missed tackles, and all of a sudden you've got two losses on your hands. So anyway, I could go on that forever. But it was good. Back to your original question, you know, we had a good time there. Um, you know, next one will be the 50th. And like Coach Ford said, he goes, we wanted to have a 40th because, you know, some of us not be, might not be around for the 50th. So uh, as we get older. So between 1990 and I guess 2015, um, the 81 National Championship became even more sort of revered each year. Largely because, uh, because what was being experienced at the present time was not anywhere close to that. But once they start winning championships again and competing for them every year, I don't want to say it's ho hum at all. But when the when the when you guys are recognized now, it's more like, oh yeah, that's cool. That's the eighty-one championship team. Now, I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying it's a different feel when you're oh. in the midst of of championships in, uh, no, in, in, in the current era no, is that conflicting at all like no no you're 110 percent right as a matter of fact i thought that you know when we did the 25th anniversary this is an excellent point larry that was 2006 with our 20th and 25th anniversary we all had we all got i was on the committee that organized it because i was living in atlanta at the time coach ford was there we met in jury athletic over the mcfadden building at the time and there was a committee of six or seven of us to include coach ford and we had the whole thing planned out it was like playing in the d-day invasion we all wore jerseys <laughs> i'm serious we we you know we we uh we were we all had our jerseys with our numbers and names on the back the managers and trainers and coaches wore jerseys that said 81 uh, we were introduced at halftime. It was the whole the whole halftime show it was the North Carolina game. The whole halftime show was about the '81 national championship team. Coach Ford was symbolically presented the coach's trophy, you know, the crystal ball, and he held it up, and it was a big deal because that was the only one we had. Yeah. This time, this time, the 40th, they introduce us on the third TV time out of the first quarter. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for coming. Here's your T-shirt and hat. I mean, you know, I mean, let's face it. That's what it was. You're you're absolutely right. We were looking at the program going, wait a minute, third time, TV time out of the first corner. 22 seconds. A lot of people are getting up to take, you know, take a leak or something. And here we are. It was like, what is that? You know, people running out to get get. To get a coke and a hot dog. <laughs> well, what are they cheering about? Oh, that was just the '81 team. So I mean, yeah, it was uh, an interesting dynamic, as I like to say. But to your point, yeah, when you win two national championships since 2016, and you've been to the CFP since 2015, yeah, I mean, but that's just the way it is, and I'm glad it's that way. I'm glad we're not. Uh, like our friends down in Athens, as we refer to them as 1980, now, that could <laughs> easily change this year. But you know that becomes that becomes quite a, a weight around your neck when everybody goes, "Oh yeah, Georgia, 1980." Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, every year it becomes it becomes more ponderous, and the, the, that date gets bigger and bigger. And you know, because you're like, "Hey, that's a long time ago, dude. That's 41 years ago." I mean, we're you know that's. 
and, and not to say that they don't have a chance to win it this year, but if they don't, then it becomes even bigger. Where here we are, little old Clemson celebrating national championships. Of course, that run ends this year, but people forget. Like I mentioned on uh, that show last week on the ESPN Radio Upstate, that uh, 2018, out there in Santa Ana in January 2019, Clemson laid waste to Alabama 44-16, and people were decrying that Clemson was going to go <laughs> like at 45-0, and 0, oh, and yeah. Trevor Lawrence was going to win two Heisman trophies, and uh, Alabama was done, and Nick Saban was done, and the reign of Clemson has begun, and then... Well, enter Joe Burrow and LSU. And, you know, Alabama did not go to the college football playoffs that year. They played, I, I don't remember what bowl game they played in, but, you know, Coach Saban recalculated and recalibrated. And, you know, Alabama won it obviously last year, and, and they have a, a, you know, really great shot to win it this year. And who's to say next year that Clemson won't be right back in the thick of it? So that's college, it's college football. But uh, it's, that's how that's how quick you, it can sh- you know shake around either way. I've been thinking about this <clears throat> for a month now, sort of in the back of my mind. You said that's college football. On a deeper level, is it also is it human nature at work? Because you mentioned forty four to sixteen, and at the time, like like you just said, I mean, we spent. I remember talking that off season entering the 2019 season like seriously talking about could they go 45 and oh like you know could trevor never lose a game could they have yeah. three uh three national could he, could he walk out of here with three national titles and so the human nature part of that is or i guess the theory that i'm proposing is that we know that it is maybe harder to keep your edge when you're on the top than it is in getting to the top and then on top of that, you have a, a several other very highly fortified college football programs with a lot of tradition, a lot of motivation, who saw, including Alabama, including Ohio State, including Georgia, maybe a couple of others, who looked at what Clemson did uh, in California that night and said, whoa, we better get our crap together because this Clemson team is is looking like they're running away from us. So you think it could have been a double-edged human nature sort of sword in that it maybe created a little bit of complacency? I'm not saying a lot, but just the natural effect of feeling good about yourself after an event like that. And then on the other hand, it creates more motivation and, and desire and edge and commitment, I guess you could say, from from some of the other programs that are really serious about football. Certainly. The old saying goes, Larry, the, the hungry cat hunts best. You know, you win a national championship, they praise you, you get all the bling and the rings, and and people start pumping you full of, of that gas that you, it's like, uh, it's like laughing gas. And they start telling you how great you are and patting you on the back. It is certainly human nature, whether you're an athlete or not. Doesn't matter what profession you're in, whether it's college football or anything else. If you, if you aren't hungry, it's it, it, you could see it happen. And, and then you know they ran the table again, right? I mean, up till up till that LSU game, they were undefeated. Yeah. They hadn't lost. They won the ACC. Who did they beat? Was it Virginia? I can't remember who they beat in 2000 for the ACC championship. Yeah, Virginia. I think yeah, it was UVA because I was in where was I? I was in Phnom Penh. 
Cambodia, trying to follow the game on my phone when they beat Virginia. And uh, and then it came back, and I watched the Ohio State game in the Hampton Inn in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And you know, and then you know, Trevor was Trevor was magical. Once that long run, they beat Ohio State. Nolan Turner picks off the ball in the end zone, and then everybody's like, "Wow, ah, well, yeah, we'll do the same." LSU, back, ah, come on, no. and then then they got then they got poleaxed by LSU. You know, but that and they were, but they were ahead even against LSU, if I'm not mistaken, in the first quarter or the first half. Oh yeah, wasn't it like seventeen to seven or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's how that's how close they came. You know, and and then then they turn it around in a COVID year, which I still think I still think for a lot of programs this COVID thing is a hangover from that from last year. People are still trying to find because you're so worried about. Yeah, the injuries, and then you're going to worry about the testing, and we're going to lose this guy. Who's everybody's on edge? He's going to fail the test, and are we going to we're going to have everybody? And I mean, I hold my breath now every time you guys come out and say players available, not available for the the Clemson game, you know, and they announce it, and you're like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be two guys, or is it going to be ten guys? No one knows. So yeah, but human nature, like you said, that's that's all part of it. Whether you're playing at Clemson and you're playing for the, uh, you know, New York giants that that's, uh, or if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won the Super Bowl last year, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to me. It is hard to maintain that edge. And it's hard to stay really hungry when you've got everything at your feet and everybody's telling you how good they are. So, and that's, that's, that's the hardest part of being a coach is keeping these guys, Professionals are professionals, one thing. In the National Football League, that's your job. But it's hard when they're 19, 20 to 21, and all their classmates are telling them how great they are, and their parents are telling them how great they are. And the national media, to include y'all, you know, whoever, they, they can't get away from it, whether it's they turn on ESPN. And now, you know, everybody's saying, oh, that's the end of the Clemson Dynasty. It's, you know, Paul, Paul Feinbaum's on there running his mouth. And he's just doing it to get attention, but that's it. They're done. You can't say that about. Them. I mean, come on, really, please. So, I mean, you know, they'll, I, I tell people, I said, I just reassure them that have faith. The guy that's running the Clemson program, he's he's won his whole life. He's a fighter. He's not going to give up, and he's got a different way of doing things. It's unorthodox. It's not how everyone else does it, but the proofs in the pudding and his, his formula works. And I do believe he'll tweak that formula because that's just who he is, but he is not, he's not going to do it in public and he's going to do everything he can to win because nothing, I don't believe nothing irritates Dabo Sweeney more than losing. He, he's not because he's a winner in life. And just like me, I don't, I consider myself a life winner. Nothing irritates me more than losing, even when Clemson, you know, Clemson loses, although I have nothing to do with it. People, it's funny how I'm really not involved with the program at all, but I, and I never hear from anybody when Clemson wins, but it's amazing how many people <laughs> contact me when they lose. I'm like, I haven't heard from some of these people in like three years. I'm like, hey, what happened to Clemson? I go, and I just go, they lost. I don't, I say, you know, I go to my mailbox. It's funny. People think I'm involved in the program. And I said, you know, they've won six straight ACC championships and two national championships. And I walk down my driveway every day to go to that mail, mailbox and I open it. And there's never been a national championship ring or an ACC championship <laughs> ring in that mailbox. They've never sent me one. So I can't really say that I'm that involved in the program. So, uh, but that being said, 
I do have to, on the flip side, I, I had somebody contact me yesterday, a friend of a friend. Their son is an outstanding football player, and I'm not going to give up his name or where he plays or what his or what his background is. But he's very interested in coming to Clemson, um, you know, via the transfer portal. And I get those occasionally. And I said, hey, look, I'll, I'm not involved. I can't get involved because I'm a former player. But, um, you know, best of luck to you. I hope it all works out. So that's, that's part of, you know, they know, my, they know my contacts to the program. And so they, they, they use me as – they try to use me as a conduit, which I can't do. So it's, it's interesting. There are, a lot, there are a lot of people out there who want to come to Clemson um, via, you know, because that's, that's the age of I call college free agency. Do you realize it's easier in college now to change teams than it is in the National Football League? I mean, when I was in, I signed, as you know, as a free agent with the Denver Broncos in 1984. Unfortunately, I wasn't drafted. I went to minicamp, and about a week in the training camp, I realized, man, I'm probably not going to make this team. I've got three or four guys ahead of me at free safety. It would have been nice to go, you know what? I think I'm just going to go to the Buffalo Bills because things aren't really working out for me here. You can't, you know, but you can't do that. You're under con. You have to be cut to be able to go to another team in the NFL. But in college, now it's just kind of like, hey, look, I'm backing up so and so, and it ain't working out, and I'm not getting the love from the coaches. Hey, I'm popping smoke, and off they go. And uh, I, they, man, they've really opened up Pandora's box on that one, don't you think? Yeah, man. Now you, I mean, you're going to have with so many mid-year enrollees, freshman classes. Yeah. And you're going to have instances of those some of those same guys in May, you know, after spring practice. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really like being on the third string. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. They're going to leave before they can play a down. Of no. Yeah. Football. No, I, I, you know what? And we were talking about that on Friday night. We we're all sitting around over at the Mellow Mushroom. And, uh, and you know where that is. Go, go downtown Clemson. And um, not downtown, but just on 123. And, um, I said, you know, in, in all transparency, once again, if if I looked back and realized that I was going to back up Terry Kennard for two years uh, and I had the ability to go somewhere else and play, which I certainly would have, I'm not too sure that I wouldn't have in retrospect. And I know we had talked about this when Kelly Bryant left, you know, after with the Trevor thing back in 2018. And I wasn't real happy with it. But as I've studied this thing over the course of three years, and I guess I'm allowed to, hopefully allowed to change my opinion, I don't, I'm not really sure if I wouldn't have left. Mm-hmm. And I love Clemson, but, you know, you've got to look at it as a business decision. I'm, am I going to sit behind this guy for two – this guy was – and I saw TK. I saw TK at the, at the tailgate. We were like, Billy, I go, hey, what's up, TK? We're talking. I go, I go Dude, you know, do you realize how hard it was to back you up for two years? I said, you're on the Sports Illustrated All-Century team. You know, he's laughing. I go, it's, that's not easy to do, to hold your water for that long. I mean, the guy was a, a great fleet. He's in the ring of honor. You know, he was an all pro. But I could have easily popped smoke and gone somewhere like pick your school and, and started. And who knows where that would have led me as opposed to, you know, sharing time with Ronald Watson my senior year because I got, I got, I got put in the doghouse by Coach Ford because I played baseball. So... Or if I'd have played baseball, if I'd have gone that route with Coach Wilhelm and just, you know, chunked the baseball thing. So, but you're right. A lot of these guys, they've opened up Pandora's box with this thing. 
And, well, if you look, like somebody said, you look at LSU, who won, you know, Joe Burrow was a transfer mm-hmm. in from Ohio State. And then the next year, we lose to Justin Fields in Ohio State in 2020, and he's a tra- transfer from Georgia. Would, how good would have LSU been without Joe Burrow? And how good would have Justin Fields been without Ohio State? Arguably, probably not as good as they were. I think it's safe to say. If you look how Joe Burrow's playing in the NFL and how Justin Fields is already you know, starting for the Chicago Bears. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these the schools adapt and in, 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 in truth how Clemson adapts to it as well. Uh, yeah, and in Alabama, they lose all those ridiculous receivers. They, they go out and grab Jamison Williams from Ohio State, and who's, he's an absolute stud for the Crimson Tide right now. Georgia goes out after losing like seven defensive backs, gets a uh, guy by the name of Darian Kendrick. Uh, yeah, oh, so, yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with him. It, 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 uh, I feel that Dabo is going to adjust and, and start considering the portal on a more serious level based largely on, I think, I think it, and tell me if you agree or disagree in hindsight, it is more than fair to look at this offensive line that did not have a center coming into the year and say they should have, surely there are one or two offensive linemen out there who would love to play for Clemson. And if you don't have a center, you're in some trouble. Is that fair? That's totally fair. I mean, I, I love Dabo Sweeney like a brother and Tony Elliott the same. And, but the fact, and Danny Pierman the same, but the fact of the matter is that, yeah, that it, it, you don't have to be an NFL coach or a former player like me or a college player or anybody to see that that offensive line it struggles. I mean, as with the jokes that we, Stevie wonder could see it. And so, yeah, in retrospect, I think, I think, you are in serious trouble in life and not just in football, but anything that you do, if you don't go back and reevaluate your decisions based on the things you've done in the last six months to a year. And Hey, could we have maybe done this a little bit better? We, we might want to rethink this, whether it's, you know, how you're taking care of your family to the transfer portal. But if you couldn't see that coming, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a serious error. Um, sometimes, sometimes you want to go down with a ship, and ships go down a little bit quicker than you thought. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm not gonna not gonna pull any punches on that one. They they need to reevaluate. It's just like you know, I I follow Kentucky football now because, as you know, Sophie's in Kentucky and she's very involved in FCA. And a lot of those guys that play football for Kentucky are involved at the quarterback, Will Levis, who was at Penn State last year. Now. Now they're slinging the ball all over the place. They got a new offensive coordinator in there. They got a, this kid named Wondell Robinson, who was at uh, Nebraska, who's from Kentucky. He came in as a wide receiver. They've got an offensive line that looks like the the you know the friggin' Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Steelers. I mean, they are massive and they are impressive. And they just—I don't know if you saw that Florida game, but they just decided to shove it right up Florida's. You know what? And Florida couldn't do a thing about it. And it was a thing of beauty. Those guys, you know, but you get a couple of skill guys in there that make a difference with a strong offensive line. And I'm not saying Kentucky's a world beater, but, you know, they they just beat Florida, who was ranked 10th. And everybody goes on about what. how many times have you heard about Dan Mullen and what a great offensive mind he is? I mean, they scored, they scored 13 points. Well, and, and 
you said Kentucky shoved it down their throat with the run against the same defense that Alabama couldn't run against. Correct. At least later. Uh, a couple of weeks yeah. earlier, I should say. No, they, they did. I mean, they, if you watched the one of that last drive where they scored a touchdown, well, they got the turnover. So they didn't move, but they, they just decided to run it, and there was nothing Florida could do. They couldn't stop. I mean, it was just a bludgeoning, and uh, they ran the clock down. So, uh, you know, they, they're, they're certainly formidable. I'm, I'm, they're not going to win the SEC because they're in the same, uh, you know, that, that's play, they still have to play Georgia. But, uh, yeah, get to your point. But that's the, once again, they, they utilize the transfer portal to their advantage. And, um, I, I think if, if you don't adapt to that, then in my opinion, and I'm, I know you agree now that we have a discussion, if you don't adapt and start doing that, then you, you're seriously handicapping yourself. I do believe. The, the disturbing thing to me in watching the, the opener against Georgia was not that, Clemson's offensive line struggled against maybe the best defensive front in college football history. I mean, good God, that amazing, uh, absolutely amazing defensive line and linebackers Georgia has. So it wasn't that. I mean, you expected Clemson's offensive line to struggle in that game. It was more Clemson just got, on the offensive side, got sort of physically punked everywhere, Mm -hmm. everywhere. On the outside, it just didn't look like they, it didn't look like the team that I'm used to seeing that, is supremely motivated and has spent the entire offseason wanting to atone for uh, an embarrassing performance in, in, in the Sugar Bowl and all that. It just looked like too casual to me. Did you have the same takeaway from that game? And I'm, again, I'm speaking specifically about the offense because the defense looked great in that game. Yeah, the defense is lights out. But the offense looked, uh, I mean, they looked, they looked, I know it's an overused phrase, but it's apropos in this case. They literally look like when I'm driving at 5 o'clock in the morning down 287 on the Berlin Turnpike, and I see the deer out on the side of the road, and they freeze. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was almost like the stage was too big for them, and there was no one there. Last year, you could always count on 16 and and 9 to do things. I mean, it was, uh, you know, swing past the nine, you got to take it for 50 yards. You know, uh, Trevor would always make these dime throws. You're like, ah, man, dude, he made it look so easy. He made it look effortless. And they didn't have any of that against Georgia. And they st- they don't have it now. They, and I don't know why that, if I, if I could hit the magic button and tell you why, then I would be a Clemson coach, and obviously, and, and you know that as a fact. But, uh, yeah, they, they the defense, on the other hand, looked just – I mean, you know, Georgia wins the game on on a pick six. Who's it? I mean, other than that, it was two field goals by each team. One field goal apiece. I mean, it was really just, a, it was really on both sides, on both defensive sides, the ball was great, and the offensive side on both sides, it was really horrific. Neither one looked like they could bust a grape, you know? So, unfortunately, I think a lot of times that's not the kind of game you want to open up with. I mean, it's no, it's really cool for the fans to talk about. Oh yeah, we're opening up against Georgia. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, and it's going to be nationalized. Well, if you lay an egg on national television, then then you got to deal with the consequences. And I think for the psyche for the team, it's a heck of a lot easier opening up with South Carolina State or Wyoming than it is Georgia on national television where all the hype is going. We, we have a quarterback who really has only played in two games, although he did very well in both of those games. And you essentially have a whole brand-new offense. You know, you're losing Amari Rodgers. 
I mean, you know, people don't count. That guy in the slot was money. Oh, man. With all the so plays good. that he made, you know? So I, I think he's one of the most neglected. You always talk about ETN and Trevor Lawrence. Nobody talks about Amari, but that guy was ridiculous. I mean, he would, you know, I, I still see him in the ACC championship game in shredding Notre Dame right down the middle of the field for that touchdown. He made it you know, effortless. And so did and Trevor. And in Notre Dame, you know, obviously was a good was a good team last year. But you take away all those pieces of that puzzle and and your and your leaders on offense and there's there's nobody to grab anybody with a face mask and get them going and there, if there's no alpha dog out there now the defense the alpha dogs are like running and barking at each other so many alpha dogs on the defense oh yeah you know but but and, and you lose alpha dogs you know you you lose the big defensive tackle and you lose some other ones but there's still plenty of those are they're dogs out there on the defense and i don't think just for me observing it as much as little as I've seen, I don't see that. I don't see an alpha dog out there. I see a lot of really good athletes, but I don't see anybody who's going to grab somebody in the face mask and chew on them a little bit. And, and you know, you can't, the defense can't go over and do that to the offense. You have to have both sides of it. And um, I don't know what kind of spark it would take, but well, I watched, like, obviously watch the Boston College game. There are, a lot, there are a lot of points left on the field, a lot of drops, a lot of. A lot of things that could have made the game. Clemson could have won that thing in a runaway, I believe. Just by you get a different feel for it being down on the field than you do sitting and watching it on TV. It's a lot easier to put your pulse on the on the game when you're when you're watching it down on the field. And uh, it just seemed like, but hey, make no mistake. Some of those kids, Boston College, man, their offensive line, a bunch of monsters. Yeah, there's some big dudes. Big, you know, so, and they dropped, I don't know how many they dropped on Missouri. Uh, you know, they're pretty prolific offense. And that, that quarterback, I mean, he, he can sling it pretty well. He's, he's, you know, they say he's a walk-on, but he's also a fifth-year senior. So he's been around the program a lot. So unlike DJ, he was, he's still a newbie, you know. And he's, I think the pressure and the expectations on him uh, following uh, Deshaun Watson and Kelly Bryant, you know, people forget Kelly Bryant, this and Kelly Bryant, that he, you know, he took him to the ACC championship in the college football playoff. And Kelly, Kelly won some games in 2017 strictly with his legs. He's pretty good. You know, he, won, he won that Auburn game with his legs. He won that Texas A&M game and, you know, the Auburn game for sure. Cause I was there. Um, you know, he, he made some, he made some really good plays. He was a solid quarterback. And of course, you know, 16 is just, uh, you know, I don't know you ever see one like that again. I mean, that that, that standard is, uh, if you say best is a standard, boy, you should put his picture up right next to the slogan, you know. So I think he did a lot. He did a lot last year with a supporting cast on the offensive line. I, I think, man, if, I, if you just take, like, Kentucky's offensive line and put it in front of Trevor and Travis, man, good grief. That would be, that'd be pretty scary. But sometimes it's hard to have everything. Uh, you know, some schools, nobody has everything. It's just a matter of putting it all together at one time and, and keeping everybody healthy, which is, I think, is the most underrated thing in college football or professional football is, is injuries. If you, have a, if you have a spate of injuries like Clemson is suffering right now, I, I told somebody yesterday, it looks like it looked, the injury list looks like the, uh, the third day at Gettysburg. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's guys falling all over the place, you know? 
Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone Griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Coming out of the Sugar Bowl last year, you know, most of the heat was on the defense for giving up 49 points and touchdowns on five straight possessions and obviously warranted criticism. But I was also saying, now, look, now, this offense – should be better in terms of being more equipped and ready to get into a track meet on the on the night that the defense isn't playing its best and is struggling. And you know, they scored 28 points. They were kind of physically overwhelmed. And I thought at the time, I think maybe this offense is in need of a bit of a refresh sort of schematically. Certainly not calling for cleaning house or anything like that. But And now here they are, <clears throat> five games in, and I think it feels kind of, stale and I, I don't know because every it seems like every conversation or every thought about this offense always ends up going back to the offensive line just like it did with you when you like look oh man look at Kentucky's offensive line and imagine what would be what would have been possible last year if Clemson was really good up front but still <clears throat> do you agree that things do feel a bit stale even even the offensive line fundamental problems notwithstanding and do you think that in terms of the adaptation that we both sort of see Dabo making that includes the transfer portal, do you also envision it? And, and we're guessing here because we're not, you know, <laughs> I think only Dabo in his mind knows what's, you know, what only he knows what he's thinking. Yeah. Uh, he's not broadcasting it to anybody, I don't think. Um, no. Do you think that includes bringing in some new ideas, um, taking a, a serious evaluation of where they are schematically? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You and I have talked about this, texted, I know, offline about this. And uh, stale is a good word. 
I mean, I think anybody, any Clemson fan out there and your subscribers on Tiger Illustrated, it's been, it's been discussed ad nauseum uh, about, about the staleness of the offense and the, the certain number of plays that they run. Uh, I don't know. I've been out of coach. If I could help, I've been there. I've been out of coaching. I haven't coached in college as a student assistant since 1987. So, you know, that's 34 years ago. I, I don't, but sometimes I, I feel like I can almost predict what they're running before they run it. And, uh, any program has to do a serious self-scout and evaluation of where they are and what they're doing. And I do believe that they, they will do that, whether it's during this bye week and they come out with something different or whether it's next year, it's hard to change. As you know, Larry, it's hard to change horses in midstream. Like I've said before, and you can't do anything drastic because of the the previous success that they've had. That was going, oh, yeah, that was back 2018 and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, you can't live in the past. Well, you certainly cannot live in the past. No, you always have to look forward. You have to, you have to be constantly evaluating where you are and what you're doing or you either change or you die in, in, in the football business. And so, but things were always masked. And I do believe you've written that before in some of your articles about it's it's easy to mask problems when you have generational talents at, at skill positions. And so they can they can cover up deficiencies in other in other levels, which would be i.e. the offensive line. So when you got the guy like Trevor Lawrence slinging it around to Travis Etienne and Amari Rogers and the wide receivers that we've had uh, currently. Uh, yeah, but and all of a sudden you don't have those guys, then everything's magnified tenfold, and everybody's you know hitting the DefCon one button, and, and, and rightfully so because there's really no reason for Clemson to to be ranked in the top four in the country to start the year, and now they're not even ranked. That's 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 kind of painful, actually. That's just it's I don't it's not embarrassing, but it's. Uh, it's kind of an eye opener. Now, granted, they've lost two games. They lost to Georgia and they lost in Georgia by a pick six, and they lost in double overtime to NC State. So, but as like Coach Sweeney says, you know, they could be they could be five and zero right now, but they'd still have the same deficiencies. I tell you what, just, though, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say they could also be one and four. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. But that's but you know what. That's 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 most team other than Alabama and Georgia. Well, Georgia could easily have a loss. Could be Clemson, but that's most schools. And now you know people in Tiger Girls are well. You know, it sounds like Tommy Bowden. You know, fifty percent of the yeah. team lose and fifty. You know, well that's well of course. But that's that's just the way it is. I mean, the old saying goes, and I subscribe to it. Each usually each game, unless you're blowing out South Carolina State or somebody, comes down to five or six big plays. Right, it, they always do in the good games. Comes down a couple of turnovers, a missed tackle, a great catch in the end zone. That's what happens, and and that's what separates the great teams from from the media. The teams that go eight and four, the teams that go fifteen and zero. And we've been so accustomed to Clemson to to winning easily. And you know, you just get these people on the internet. Well, you know, Clemson's schedule sucks. It's no good. I'm tired of going and watching blowouts <laughs> in Death Valley. Oh, guess what, pal? 
Guess you got your wish, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Are you, were you excited? Were you excited when Boston College drove down the field and had a chance <laughs> to win it? I hope you were excited. I hope you had your popcorn out and were really enjoying the game. I was ready. To, I was ready to jump off the, the upper deck. But you have these people. I want to be entertained. I don't want to be entertained. I want to kick the crap out of people and win by fifty points every game. But you know, it's funny how you have this segment of the population that complains about the schedule. Well, guess what? They're getting their money's worth now, aren't they? I mean, you know, guess what? When Wake Forest rolls into town in November, I hope you're entertained. Because <laughs> you know what? You're going to be. You're going to get your money's worth. i tell you what. I, Saturday showed me something. Saturday night showed me something. I guess Boston College at Death Valley. That there's a bit of a dichotomy between all the criticism that you read on a message board and hear on the radio airwaves and just the general sort of, um, I guess, negative negativity or just the sort of woe is everything. The malaise, as the I malaise. refer to it. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. And not that, not that everybody on message boards has that view or projects that, not that everybody on radio, every caller on the radio does either. But when... I'll I tell you this. I went to that game thinking, ooh, I don't know how this crowd's going to be. You know, I don't, I mean, I, they might have 20,000 empty seats. I don't know. And then it was phenomenal. There's going there's, to there's be people booing at the first hint of, nope. of, of, of adversity or, 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 yep. or bad play. It was tremendous. It was. It was. And that's what I failed to mention. And I'm glad you brought that up. But it almost brought tears in my eyes. I mean, just even Tiger Walk. When we were there, we, we showed up about, we stood out there for almost a half an hour before the buses got there. And the, the hundreds, if not thousands of people, thousands of people out there at Tiger Walk, it was a big celebration. They couldn't wait to see the Tiger. And they were just going crazy. And before the game, you know, the, the stands were electric. And during the game, the crowd was totally into it. I mean, it was deafening down there on the field. And, and so, so, yeah, to your point, it's it's just like anything else in life. There's a vocal minority of negative people that get all the attention, and they, they want to be rabble. And, they, and I think part of it is, is I don't know, they must have been neglected as children or something. And so this is how they get their attention is they, they criticize and they rant and they rave and they, they want somebody's head. And like I said, I'm sure they're all, you know, immensely successful people in private industry. And they're, they, they're totally successful in everything they've done in their life. And they've never failed. And they've never done anything wrong. And But they're going to hold these people accountable for not winning football games and, and not, ha- not scoring 60 points a game. So, but they, they get the attention. But there's, I think, I do believe, you know, I'm always a half glass full kind of, Dude, as you know, I do believe the vast majority of Clemson fans realize they're willing to give the program a mulligan this year and realize the kids are out there and better times are ahead. And I think I think that that really displayed itself. They're going to say, okay, you lost to NC State. It's homecoming, and we're going to turn the page, and we're going to be positive and try to put this positive energy to a bunch of young kids out there in the field wearing the paw, and they did. And, you know, it's like uh, – it's like Halfley said. He goes, "Man, you got to take your hat off to that. That Clemson crowd was unbelievable. I mean, how many, how many illegal procedure and offside penalties did Boston College have in that game? It was like eight or nine? Yeah, something like something that. like that. It's ridiculous. I mean, and that was that's one thing. Well, it's one thing is a bunch of you know 
man eaters coming across the line of scrimmage at you. One, and then two, that the crowd noise deafening, and they, the crowd was into it, and it certainly certainly helped. And Dabo said it after the game. Hey, how about this crowd? Unbelievable. You know, like you said, they could have stayed at home and watched it on TV, but they didn't. They showed up, and for all the negative people. You know, I mean, that's just, there's always that 5 to 10%. People are going to be negative about anything. I get it. I mean, I, I feel sorry for them because that's, that's their lot in life. I mean, but um, for the most part, folks are out there pulling for the kids. And, you know, if you want to be entertained, you know, college football is entertainment. It's not entertainment to me. It's, it's, it's an integral part of my life as a Clemson Tiger and Clemson University has done so much for me, so much for my family that I, I take it. It's, it's a blood, it's blood to me. It's just, it's part of my family and it's an intrinsic part of my life. It's a fabric of my life. And so I, um, I try to take it for what it's worth. It, a bunch of young student athletes out there, uh, who did a lot better than we did back in the day. I can tell you that. Um, and so, and I don't begrudge them for a minute on that. I'm happy they live that way. I'm happy they, they have, uh, the Dabo world there. And I'm happy that they, they can, uh, have the best uh, lifestyle of anything. It's no wonder some of these guys want to stay six years. Shoot, I'd say they're 10 years the way they live. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, why would you want to leave and go out in the real world? If you can, you can live like they do, uh, Sure. You know, I would have liked to have been a 60 year senior. By the time I was six years in, I was in my third training camp in the NFL. You know, and, and some of these guys are still playing for Clemson. So that's, that's a good, we're all laughing. Man, can you imagine being a 60 year senior? No, oh, man. I'm, guys are like, no, nah, I don't think I'd even survive that. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, it was kind of the Wild West when we were there at Clemson, anyways. A different, uh, um, a little bit different world. And they're better for it the way it's run now. I guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. So we have spent a considerable amount of time talking about some of the things that probably need to change. So you're, you are clearly not a total sunshine pumper. You see some things that, that, that trouble you. So you, you, don't have sure. any, you don't have any problem offering constructive criticism. I'm curious. Obviously, you have some significant issues about some of the uh, commentary uh, that you see on message on our message board and things like that. What to you, is there, is there something you can articulate like a line that, that you see cross that just shouldn't be. And that really just sort of makes you uh, sort of stew over it. Yeah. Well, I think it's the name calling, calling people names on, on a message board with no accountability. If you, you know, I'll tell you, I'm six foot four, I weigh 242 pounds and I still bench press in excess of 400 pounds. I can run a mile and a half in less than 10 minutes. Still. There are a lot of people call names. I guarantee you wouldn't call some of the names to my face, you know, but we live in a world now where everybody can hide behind a message board and, and call out. If you want to call me out, that's fine. We can settle that. I, I'll tell you where I live. You can come talk to me. Um, you'll never make it across my yard though. Um, uh, but when you start calling players out and, and, and these, these young men who are 19, 20 years old and calling them and calling coaches out and, and with no accountability, if you want to sign your name and put your address down, that's fine. But you cross the line when you, you start calling people names and MF them and, and, and all, all these things. That, that, that does a real turn off to me. I mean, you can be constructively criticized. You can give your opinion. 
last time I checked, although things are starting to change now in the United States, we are entitled to our opinion. Although I, I don't know where this is going in our world, but and if you think the offense is bad, hey, that offense is really bad and they need help. But you start calling players and coaches out individually and saying they should be fired and they they suck and uh, you know this guy's an mf'er or that sob or you know that's that's really uncalled for and I'm sure you agree. There's just and that takes the fun out of it. I used to go. I used to go to your website just to see people's opinions, and and occasionally I've, I've been a member of your website officially. I mean, I was a tally since I think since two thousand and five, so that's sixteen, seventeen years, and I've posted maybe a little over a thousand times. I think, and most of it is, most all of it's positive because that's just the kind of person I am. I'm never going to. Con- con- I mean, that's not my job to criticize people on the internet. That's. Uh, that you know that's just that's that's not what i do okay uh other people want to do that that's fine but when you start calling people out names and stuff and that's just because i have a student athlete that's 20 years old in sophomore kentucky now she's a swimmer swimming doesn't draw obviously nearly the passion that college football does um but if somebody ever got on and started calling my daughter names and uh, I, you know, I would, with my ability, I would be able to track them down rather quickly. And people don't understand that part of it either. I still have a lot of friends, you know, on the dark side. So, uh, just like when your daughter, you know, your both your daughters are certainly going to be, you know, Division One athletes, and you you'll take a different perspective on Division One athletes when your daughters get to that level. I promise you, it's just like an epiphany. All of a sudden, I was like, hey, wait, my daughter goes to school with these guys. Same age. You know, hold on a second, pal. You know, these aren't, although they're close to being professionals now, Larry, closer than they ever were. Um, as a matter of fact, some of them are professionals, technically. They still are college student athletes. And um, you want to be, you know, you want to chomp on a professional athlete? Hey, have at it, dude. I don't care. But but calling out coaches, and I don't care if Dabo Sweeney makes $9 million or nine hundred thousand dollars, and I. But he's worth every penny that every penny that Clemson pays him. But just because a person makes a certain amount of money doesn't he's doesn't mean he's has to have to be more scrutinized than somebody that makes two million dollars a year. It's just that's the going rate. And there's a couple of big gold trophies sitting there in the Reeves Center right now that vindicates the money that Clemson pays Dabo Sweeney to be the head coach. And I don't have any doubt in my mind, as sure as I'm sitting here, that he will fix these perceived problems and Clemson will be back to where they were. It's like I said on that radio show last week, do not bet against Dabo Sweeney. You may, it's like the stock market. You may bet against him in the short run. If you want, if you want to shut your shot at Dabo Sweeney out there, you better take it this year. 2021 because it ain't gonna last long he's gonna be right back where he was wreaking havoc on on the college football world i can almost assure you that you can mark this one down you know mark the tape whatever day it is october 6 2021 mark it down they they will be back this is just a little blip in the radar very similar to what alabama went through you know what? Remember that in 2018, you said the greatest. You know, you said about Georgia being the great, arguably the greatest 
defensive line and linebackers in college football history. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the 2018 season, wasn't everybody saying that Alabama was arguably the greatest football team in college football history? They were saying that about their offense, for sure. Yeah, didn't they say that? The offense was, yeah, that's the greatest offense in college football history. They scored 16 points against Clemson. So that's how quick. I just want to remind everybody that, you know, we don't we don't really look. We have kind of myopic in how we look at things. But I just kept. I remember before that game going to my gym up here in Virginia. Oh, you guys don't stand a chance. Alabama's going to wipe the floor with you guys. That's the greatest offense in college. I, I was like, okay, well, we'll see. You're probably right, but we'll see. And it was the exact opposite. You know. So, and that was just a mere three years ago, and it's all. Yeah, that's how that's how quick it can change, but that's just to remind everybody that yeah, you just saying with Georgia, you, they were saying about Alabama, greatest offense in college football history. No one's unstoppable. No one can stop Tua. Yeah, yeah they were wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, just just a quick look back, just a quick look back, just a couple, just a, just a few months ago, you know, thirty six months ago. That's how quick it goes, man. It's amazing. But that's why that's why everybody's so passionate about college. It's so much fun to talk about. What else are you going to talk about? Talk about politics? Not no, interested. No thank, <laughs> no, thank you. Not interested. What, what is troubling to me, that I, and that I, something I don't understand, is how quickly people can turn on their players. Uh, we saw yeah, at, Oklahoma, at Oklahoma, they're playing West Virginia, and their offense had, had struggled the week before against Nebraska. Spencer Rattler, you know, preseason Heisman candidate, wasn't playing all that well. But again, offensive line problems out the yin yang over there, very similar to Clemson. And he throws he throws a pick in the first half, and it's instant. We want Caleb, the student section talking about backup Caleb Williams. It's like that. That is just uh, there's something I don't know something wrong with that that your that his fellow students are that quick to 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 turn on him. And while we've already lavish praise on Clemson's fans for not doing the same thing this past week. You still have people on message board, you know, saying as early as the Georgia game, you know, big stinko and he must, the Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper money went to his head and things like that. It's like, wait a minute. Like you spend all off season saying, you know, Oh, this guy's going to be great because look at the way he looked against Notre Dame and Boston college. And you don't want to hear anything about, Okay, he might not be at the same stage as Trevor was at the same time, and the first sign of of struggle is like uh, the name calling and all that. I, I mean, they're beha- these these eighteen to twenty two year olds are handling themselves way better than people twice their age uh, in terms of yeah, what they're saying. Know, well, that's, what yeah, they're saying well, that's publicly. well said. Yeah, that's well said, and that's that's the point. You know, when you tie your whole self-worth in existence and you're miserable for a whole week because a bunch of kids that you don't even know, you've never even met them. You don't, you, you, and you don't, all you know is from reading about them and watching on TV and you tie your whole self-worth in existence to them winning and losing a football game. That's to me, that's sad too. I mean, I'm upset when they lose. Don't get me wrong. I get sick to my stomach, and I'm very happy when they win. But it's not, it's not going to ruin my life. And some of these people, 
And that's what makes college football great. It makes the NFL great. It's, you know, fans, fanatics, you know. But, hey, dude, you got to recalibrate and figure out you might want to, like, find another hobby or spend more time with your wife or buy a boat or, you know, go to church or find something that you uh, – because if, if your whole self-worth and your life is tied to what a bunch of kids do on a Saturday chasing a football around, then you got some issues. Now that what that's what makes places like Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Florida great uh, is they have fans like that. But in, in my estimation, of course, I'm fortunate enough that I, I got a, all that out of my system as a player. Most of it, I got it out. I, I got it out, and I realize those guys, whether they're five stars or two stars, and they're getting up and they're going to class and they're going to winter workouts and they're going to spring practice. And while all their friends are going to the beach and, and having fun in the summertime, they're at Clemson and they're doing seven on sevens and they're working out and they're, they're doing drills and all four. And, but they're, they're, you know, and a lot of it is because they love playing in death Valley and they love playing for the fans, but you, they're not there to please you. Well, and, you, you know, you mentioned name, image, likeness, and and I certainly have some concerns about where that's headed uh, uh, in a certain respect. But on another level, I'm like looking at how these players are treated by fans who just sort of view them as commodities. Like when you're playing well, it's oh my gosh, what a smart, well-spoken kid! I love him. And then oh, when yeah. he's not playing well, screw him. Part. I want to tell. Yeah, the, I, I want to tell. I want to tell the players, man. You get what you get. What you you, you capitalize on that name you and his likeness. Well, These dude. people don't give a damn about you. Well, they don't. I, I knew that even at Clemson back when I was playing. You you, you hit the nail on the head. Like it's commodity. They just, they, they, I had so many people, it, it used to hurt my feelings, you know, well, you're not that good, or you're not going to do this, or you'll never be this, or, I mean, and they, you, you could do whatever, and they'd, they'd sit and make fun of you, and these are adults, these are people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, where they, or they were, you know, they were big, big donors back in the day, they would, you know, got national championship rings and, you know, from the 81 team and they would walk by you. And I was, a, I was an integral part of the team. I had a role to play and I, I made some big plays and, and they wouldn't give me the time of debt, wouldn't acknowledge my presence. And I used to think to myself, well, who do these guys think they are? And that still holds true for the day. So you're absolutely right. I don't begrudge these kids for the name, image and likeness. Um, I don't particularly agree with it. That's just my take on it because I think if you're good enough in three years, you're going to make all the money you can dream about. Like Trevor, what did Trevor sign for? He signed for like $23, $24 million. Is that what it was? Something like that? I don't remember either. Regardless, it was in the 20s. I mean, that was just for like signing his name. So if you're that good, you're going to make the money. I do think sometimes the guys that are making the money and the guys aren't making the money, and believe me, you know, the locker rooms are locker rooms. It doesn't matter if it's Clemson, high school, or the NFL. Guys know who's get, guys know who are getting preferential treatment. And some guys, you know, are, are doing the yeoman's work and not getting any, any attention. And so it, it's going to create a little bit of a riff. I mean, they're not going to begrudge their teammates. But they're gonna if the teammate doesn't produce like he should be producing because of who he's sponsored by, huh? I can just imagine some of the the off color remarks, you know, behind the behind the back remarks because people are gonna be people with jealousy or not. So, does that make sense at all? Yeah, sure. Could, be, could, could create a little bit of a 
same way in the NFL, you know, well, this guy makes $2 million and I make minimum. And I just blocked the punt, and I just turned the game around, you know, as a special teamer. And this guy's throwing three interceptions. Hmm. Yeah, it, it did, I, you know, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I get yeah, that. You know, it's just so it, it, that's just human nature. Once again, we are we are all flawed. Human, every human being's flawed. Every one of us, and and so the thing that will throw the wrench into any any more than anything is money. Money is gonna is gonna it ruins if it does. It just it just does. And you start throwing that into kids that are 19, 20 years old, you know, I mean, like you said, there are commodities and I don't begrudge them or forget any. If you're going to open up the box, open up the box. But I just, I don't think in the long run it's going to be that good for college athletics. But the college athletics, but, you know, we talk about how great it was back in the 80s. Everybody was (laughs) cheating their tails off in the 80s. To it, 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 it was the Wild yeah. West, and you had the it two best, yeah, and the two best teams playing in different bowls, and you had the polls settling it, and all that. T- I was, twin it was, champions. You know, it was just ridiculous, <laughs> and everybody was cheating. And the NCAA, everybody, and it was just a matter of how much you cheated and how fast were you driving through on the interstate. Well, if you're only driving <laughs> seventy five, we're not going to give you a ticket. But if you're blowing at a hundred, I'm giving you a ticket, and you're going to jail. And I mean, it was just so. And I don't know who's cheating now, who doesn't cheat. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, anytime somebody does well, oh, they got to be cheating. Well, no, they're, maybe they're just, maybe they're just recruiting and this is the way it goes. But um, it, it, we could sit and talk about this. I could talk about this subject for <laughs> hours. It's fascinating to me. It is. But it's, it's human nature. And but when you're talking you know, let's go to the the Southeastern Conference, which is obviously now near and dear to my heart. And I don't care if anybody doesn't like it, but my daughter is an SEC champion. And so, I've, you know, I've, Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I mean, you know how much money just with those two schools mm. that conference is going to bring in? Yeah. They're estimating it's going to be like 70-some million dollars a year to each school crazy i mean you go to kentucky and i you know it's what i know i mean all the athletes live it's incredible what the swim team gets i mean they needed the training table you know clemson the football team is that's it you know the swimmers at kentucky need the training table wow they have nutrition labs they've got their own strength trainers They're, i mean they live like and I use the terminology. They, they, if you've ever been to a thoroughbred racehorse farm in Kentucky and see how the thoroughbreds live, they live better than a lot of most people I know. And the Kentucky athletes live like thoroughbred racehorses. They want for nothing. And you know why that is? It's because of that money that comes from the television contract that's spread out over each school. And it's a, it's like an arms race that you're so far behind that I don't know if we'd be able to ever be able to catch up. And these kids come, these recruits come at, at, a, at a school like Kentucky, which is, you know, obviously not a football school per se, but they've got some hosses there. I noticed that in 2018 when I was down on the sidelines for an official visit. I'm looking around going, my goodness. I mean, I know this is Kentucky, but gee whiz, there's some hosses here. I mean, it ain't like looking at Wake Forest. You know, I mean, just that's just a fact. Or watching Georgia Tech come on the field. I mean, it's a it's a whole different animal, man. Yeah. And so and that's just a fact. And if you, you don't want to hear it, but it's true. So, 
um, that's something that has to be dealt with as well. But like I said, I could talk about this forever because it, it, I do follow it. I'm passionate about it, but I'm, but I'm, I think I'm realistic enough to realize that there's a limit to the passion and there's a limit of what you should, how much energy you should put into this as a part of your life, as opposed to finding other things to keep you busy and realize that, you know, this thing's not the be all end all and you shouldn't let, what kids do rule your life and dictate how you look at the world. And you're that miserable that Clemson lost. I'm like, I'm miserable too, but gee whiz, I'm not going to call people out on a message board and call for their head. That's like, dude, get a life kind of thing. You know what I mean? For sure. You know, and, and you, I mean, you do, you and Strilo and, and Chris, you guys do a wonderful job of covering Clemson athletics. You have no peer. As far oh, as I, not even close. You don't. I mean, it's just fact. And I don't. I'm not. I don't really care if people agree or disagree with me because I'm past that point in my life of trying to please people. But that's a fact. And so, and I, I know this is how you put bread on the table for your for your family. Uh, but perspective in life is a wonderful thing. And I think sometimes with all the things that are going on in the world right now and the craziness that has consumed our society over different things. People are always looking for an escape. This is an escape. It is entertainment. It's like going to the movies, but there's a fine line of using it as an escape or just becoming absolutely fanatical over it and and really, you know, just taking kids and cutting them off at the knees. Because you know as well as I do, these kids and these coaches, they know what's going on. They read message boards. They can't. They do. They go in and monitor it. And I'm just thankful to the good Lord that I, my generation didn't have this because I, pro- I probably never survived some of the cutting, cutting rocks and coach Ford, you know, they all talk about like dad was, so, oh, I guess he never lost the ball game to Clemson. I'm like, yeah, he lost plenty of games. <laughs> he lost a lot of games that he shouldn't have lost to Clemson. Yep. And, but you know, we all, we all think he walked on water and that's certainly not the case. But, uh, anyway, you can talk about it forever. That's that, that. That is certainly certainly true. Billy Davis, man, appreciate you joining us. Thank you for your service to the country and uh, get some rest, man. You, you uh, yeah, it's hard it. earned. I actually, yeah, no, thanks, dude. I I, I do. I'm tired. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but thanks for having me on. I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate, like I said, what you guys do for Tiger Illustrated. And I hope the people that are listening to your podcast take what I said to heart. I don't mean any offense. I love all Clemson fans. Uh, anybody that supports the program, they, good or bad, everybody, like I said, I, I, I lived 27, 28 years of my life supporting, protecting, and defending the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I, I do believe everybody has their right to speak their opinion, whatever that opinion is, whether I agree with it or disagree with it. I hope people understand that. I, I, I mean, no ill will towards anyone. I just hope that I hope everybody is still able to voice their opinions, whether it's agreed on or disagreed on. But there's a fine line on on what you should say and what you can't say about student athletes who have decided to go to Clemson as opposed to the University of South Carolina or Georgia or Kentucky or UCLA, so on and so forth. I said, I, I think supporting them in a positive is much more constructive than it is being negative and, and, and name calling. That's just my opinion. And I'm just going to stick with it. And if you don't agree with it, then I respect that opinion too. 
So anyway, have a great, hope to talk to you soon. I'll be texting you back and forth. And um, as always, go Tigers, right? All right, great stuff as always from Billy Davis. Appreciate him being a, I guess, semi-regular guest, maybe a couple times a year. Might need to have him a little more often. Appreciate the support of our very loyal sponsors for helping make this happen. Also, and most of all, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. Everybody have a great rest of the week and weekend, and we will be back next week. Cheers.